Man, thank you for the new song. I love that new song. That was so good. Um, Just a reminder that we can always entrust our cares and our worries to God. Um, What we're talking about today is similar. Um, There's a lot of overlap. We're in the Joseph stories at the end of the book of Genesis. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab that Bible and open it to Genesis chapter 47. Genesis chapter 47. If you don't have a Bible, we've put some black Bibles under the chairs. You can grab one of those and open that up. Uh, Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Um, It's towards the end of that book. I think we're around page 35 in those black Bibles, but you can find chapter 47 in Genesis. We believe that the Bible speaks with the authority and relevance of Jesus himself. So that's why we spend every week opening it and studying it and reading it together to hear God's voice and hear what he has to say to us. As we've been studying the Joseph stories, what God has been teaching us is that he has these good and sovereign purposes, even in our dysfunctional world. So you and I live in a world that's broken, that's messed up, but God is still at work. And that's what the Joseph stories remind us of. Last week, Chase Bowers preached for us, so I want to give him a hand and thank him for preaching. Uh, Go ahead and give him a hand. He's not here, but go ahead and clap anyway. Um, He's the lead teaching pastor at Temple Bible Church, and some of you have heard the senior pastor for many years was a mentor of mine, passed away a few weeks ago. So I kind of put off asking Chase to preach. I thought, man, he's probably got a big burden on his shoulders right now asked some other people. They said no. So I ended up back with Chase asking him. And he's like, yeah, I got the week off. I can preach. I was telling him where we were in the Genesis stories. I was like, man, it'd be great if you could do Genesis 46. Um, but I'm kind of touching on Genesis 46 the week before, the week after. So if, if you don't have time to, to write something new on that passage, that's okay. And he said, how about I do Genesis 15? I was like, man, that, that's like perfect. That's even in some ways better than Genesis 46 because what he did with Genesis 15 was he showed the covenant that God made with Abraham. And then Genesis 46, where we are in the story, it's God reminding Jacob of the covenant he had made with Abraham. So it was really perfect timing for us. I'm very thankful for that. And that's just a reminder that God knows better than we do, you know, what we're setting up. He, he's at work behind the scenes as we think about what we're going to study and what we're going to learn together. Um, this week, we're calling it sojourn by grace. So we're moving into chapter 47. Most of our time will be in 47, but again, we'll reference 46 where God reminds him of the covenants and the promises he'd made with Abraham. He reminds Jacob, it's okay. This is part of my plan to move my people into Egypt, right? So as we think about sojourning, I think it's important that we define the word because it's not an everyday word in our culture. So a sojourner is someone who is a temporary resident. You can think of a foreigner An exile is another biblical word for that, right? It's someone who's not really at home. They're just here temporarily. I want to tell you a little story. This is something that's happened several times in my life. There's a t-shirt that I'll wear, and I always get really strong reactions when I wear this t-shirt. I'm actually wearing it under this shirt right now, but I'm not going to take the time to show it to you, okay? That'd just be kind of weird anyway. But when I wear this t-shirt and people read it, I get one of two reactions. One, they just start laughing right? And that's kind of fun. I like to make people laugh. The other reaction, though, is sometimes people get angry when they read my t-shirt. Do you know what my t-shirt says? My t-shirt says, I love Colleen. I heart Colleen. Why do people react so strongly to that? Well, if you're new to Colleen, you may not realize this, but some people don't like Colleen. (laughs) Did you know that? A lot of people didn't choose to move to Colleen. A lot of people were moved here against their will by the U.S. Army. And so I think we've got a large concentration of people that were moved here and they didn't decide to move here. They were placed here. And it's really important. And it's, I think, because of that uniqueness of clean, it it reminds us that we are sojourners. 
Now, not everybody here lives in Colleen, right? Like Colleen's the major city in the middle of a bunch of other cities. So a lot of you live in other towns. Your town might be so awesome that you're proud of it, right? And so there are two different ways that you can forget you're a sojourner. One way is you just are crying and whining about how terrible your town is, right? And you forget, well, that's not the point, right? This is not your home. Your home is in heaven. The other way that you can forget that you're a sojourner is your town is so awesome, you never want to leave it, right? Like, it's so good. You're like, I don't want to go to heaven. I just want to stay here. This is a pretty nice homeowners association we have going on, you know? And so no matter if you live in a tough neighborhood or a beautiful neighborhood, it can be easy to forget that we are sojourners. That is who God's people are. And that's what comes up again and again in this section. It came up in Genesis 15 last week that Chase preached from. It's going to come up again in chapter 46 and chapter 47. God's people are sojourners. This is talked about for a New Testament reference. You can look this up later in Hebrews 11. It says that the home, the promised land here is not really the ultimate promised land. We're looking forward to our true home in heaven. That's what Hebrews 11 summarizes about all the Old Testament saints. So we walk by faith. We're temporary residents. We're sojourners. And then 1 Peter 2 talks about it as well. 1 Peter 2 says we're sojourners. We're aliens. We're strangers in this land. Here's the paradox of God's grace. When you recognize that God has a perfect home for you in heaven, it actually enables you to love whatever temporary home you have. That's why we can wear a shirt that says, I heart clean. Jesus loves me, and Jesus has provided a perfect home for me in heaven. John chapter 14, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And because I have absolute confidence that Jesus loves me and he's providing for me, I can love whatever temporary assignment he's got me on. And so that's the call, that we would, we would love the place and the people he's called us to, whether it's the business you're in, the neighborhood you're in, the school you're at. You would love it because Jesus has placed you there temporarily to represent him. So let's read Genesis chapter 47. We'll start in verse 1. Genesis 47, verse 1. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. So theme of travel here. Verse 2. And from among his brothers he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years, few And evil have been the days of the years of my life. And they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your word. We believe that you speak to us through it and we ask for your Holy Spirit to meet us here. God, help us. Help us to see the assignment you've given us. Help us to make the most of it. Help us to trust you and to continue to give our cares and our worries to you as we sojourn. 
as we are temporary residents in this world doing your will? Will you, will you show us how to do that? Will you guide us? Will you walk with us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at the idea of sojourning, um, I think we see three phases unfolding in the story. Um, we see the idea that to sojourn well, we got to remember the promises. You got to remember the promises, right? If you forget the promises that God has made for you, then your entire identity can be controlled by where you live, right? Good or bad. You can become off track because it's so good. You love this place. You never want to leave it. Or it's so bad. Man, this is, this is a story of shame. I'm broken. I'm messed up, right? But God gives promises. So Chase started us on that last week with Genesis 15. We're going to see how God reminds Jacob in Genesis 46. We'll look at a little section of Genesis 46. We've got to remember the promises. And then we're going to see that sojourning means continuing the mission. Like we've got to keep it going. You might think of passing on the baton, right? There's work for us to do. Our temporary assignment is not just a random whim of God. God has placed you here to do work for him, to continue the mission he's given you. And then finally, what we're going to see is that the sojourning is always going to feel like a cliffhanger. It's always going to feel like a cliffhanger. It's something that's come up again and again in the Joseph stories, right? There's been a lot of ups and downs in the Joseph story. And we talked about how we often enjoy cliffhangers in the books we read and the shows we watch, but we do not want to live through a cliffhanger, right? But that's, that's the universe we live in. We live in a cliffhanger, and so he's going to show us that this sojourning job that God's got us on, it's going to feel like a cliffhanger. So first thing we're going to see is that sojourning remembers the promises. In order to sojourn, in order to do God's will as a temporary resident, that's what a sojourner is, to be this foreigner, to be this exile, we've got to remember the promises that God has made. So Genesis 12, I'll summarize. God blesses Abraham. God says, hey, Abraham, I want you to go to this different land, and I'm going to make you a blessing to the whole world. The way that is often summarized is land, seed, and blessing, or land, descendants, and blessing. So it's a three-part promise that God gives to Abraham, and we are now the the living fruit of that. Because Galatians says that if anyone has faith in Jesus, that we're sons and daughters of Abraham. That's what Galatians 3 tells us. And so we are part of the fruit of that, and that is still spreading. There There are more descendants of Abraham by faith, and eventually we're going to inherit the land, the world, right? It says in, Gen- uh, in the very end of the book in Revelation, right, that heaven's coming down on earth. So there's this, this inheritance of land, this inheritance of many descendants that Abraham's going to have, and there's this blessing of redemption. God is saving the world. So it's incredible promises that are starting with Abraham, and that takes place in Genesis 12. And then in Genesis 15, what Chase taught, uh, taught on last week, um, in Genesis 15, God makes a covenant with Abraham. Do you all remember that? How many of you were here last week and heard the story? Okay, so about half of you heard the sermon on Genesis 15. Well, in Genesis 15, uh, Abraham's kind of doubting, struggling a little bit, wondering if he can trust God. And so God says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And so the normal way they made covenants is they would kill animals. They'd split the carcasses and the blood would run into the middle. And then the two dudes would walk through um, the blood. And it was basically a blood covenant saying, may this destruction, may this blood come upon me if I don't fulfill my part of the bargain. That's, that's the seriousness of a blood covenant. So I grabbed a picture. If you're squeamish, don't look. But here's just a picture of someone walking through the blood, through the middle as blood drains from dead animals on either side. And that's the kind of covenant that God makes with Abraham. God is speaking the native language of an ancient Middle Easterner 
in this world. He's, he's entering into the language and culture of Abraham. But what's interesting, you remember last week, what does he do that's different from how the covenant would have normally happened? Anybody remember that? Well, only half of you were here, so I'll tell you, okay? Here's what's different. The normal covenant is two men walk through. They both get blood on their sandals. They're both uh, saying they're going to take the consequences upon them. In this covenant, God knocks out Abraham, throws him to the side. Well, it doesn't throw him, but you know, I'm paraphrasing. Abraham is asleep as the presence of God and this presence of fire passes through the dead animals. So here's what God is saying. He's saying the, the consequences of any violation of this covenant are going to come upon me. That's what God is promising there. Do you see that? How is that fulfilled in the New Testament? Well, God became bloody for us on the cross. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Jesus took the consequences of covenant violation upon himself. We rebelled against God. We sinned against God. And Jesus paid the price for that. God himself paid the price. He was made bloody for us, fulfilling the promise that he made in Genesis chapter 15. And so then that brings us up to Genesis 46. We're skipping some other stuff, right? But we'll jump from Genesis 15 to Genesis 46. And let me read you Genesis 46. Here we've got Jacob. Jacob is the grandson of Abraham, right? So God makes these covenant promises to Abraham. He makes covenant promises to Isaac. He's already made many covenant promises to Jacob as well. But just like you and me, we can drift. We can worry. We can start to forget the promises that God has made to us. And so here in Genesis 46, we see this little episode with Jacob, whose name had been changed to Israel. Look at this. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. He's he's promising, hey, I'm going to do what I said. Remember in Genesis 15, when I promised Abraham, your grandfather, that your descendants would sojourn in this foreign land, and they would struggle, and they would have hard times? Well, that's what's happening now. It's okay. It's okay to go to Egypt. Yes, I've I called y'all to the promised land, but that's going to happen later. We're going to have a 400-year sojourn in Egypt. And so God is reminding Jacob, saying, remember, remember the promises. Remember I made these promises to you before, and I made these promises to Isaac before, that I'm at work in your life. I haven't abandoned you. What's hard for us, and I think what's hard for Jacob, is God just never works on the time scale that we want him to, right? Right? In Second Peter, it says a thousand years is like a day and a day is like a thousand years. So be patient. God is patient. God's not slow in a human sense. God's patient. So we should be patient. And this is the same thing he's reminding Jacob here of as well. He's saying, I'm still at work. So how do we remember these promises? That's the question. How do we remember the promises that God has made? Well, specifically the covenant, the blood covenant that God made with Abraham is fulfilled on the cross. And so for us, we have the added benefit of being able to look back on the promise that was made and fulfilled through Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. So the first question is, have you made peace with Jesus? Have you come to terms with God, recognizing that that you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, we're all sinners, 
But Jesus has paid the price. He is fulfilling the covenant promises he made with Abraham to save the world and to bless many people. And he, he's done that ultimately through Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. So you come to peace with that. And then are you building regular rhythms in your life to remember these promises? Right? Because it's, it's hard to be about the job that God has called you to if you've, forgetting, if you've forgotten what your identity is in Christ. Do you believe that you're a son and daughter of God? Do you believe that he's at work in your life? Or do you think it's all just a random accident and the world is spinning out of control? You have to discipline yourself. We have to discipline ourselves to remember the promises. That's why we gather in worship. That's why we sing the song to Jesus to remind us, I can, I can trust you. I see that you're faithful. That's why we remember the covenant in communion. That's why we do these things. We gather in friendships, remind each other of scriptures that we're learning. We look at the word together to say we can trust God. Even though it starts to feel like we can't, it starts to feel like life is spinning out of control, we can trust him. And then God gives us little tastes of heaven in the here and now, right? He gives us these little, these little breathers, these little reminders of shalom, of peace, of the future home that Jesus is settling for us these little tastes that everything's going to be okay. He gives a reminder of this to Jacob in verses 28 through 34. It's the last little section I want to look at before we move on to chapter 47. Look at verse 28. Um, It says, He had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. And so they're moving into the land. I skipped over a bunch of verses, you'll notice, in chapter 46, and that's basically genealogy. What it's doing is it's summarizing all the sons and daughters and grandchildren of Jacob and saying all these people are moving into the promised land. It says there were 70 of them, which is symbolic of completeness and fullness in the Jewish mindset. And so we've got this genealogy. These people count. It matters. We're just going to kind of skip over that for time's sake. But God is saying these are real people, and God really kept his promises, and God is fulfilling everything he said he'd do through the children of Jacob. And now he sends Judah ahead to kind of scout out going to Goshen. Verse 29 says, Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. It's the reunion we've been waiting for, right? Remember, it's been like 20-something years of separation, and Jacob thought Joseph was dead all this time, and now he's finally seeing him face to face. Verse 31, Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, my brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds for they have been keepers keepers of livestock and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So just a couple of more things I want to point out in this text as we think about remembering the promises that God has made to us. Remember what I said earlier about the place you live can deceive you, right? If you live in the perfect neighborhood, that can deceive you into thinking you've already arrived in heaven. Or if you live in a really rough neighborhood, that can deceive you into thinking you are nothing but shame. There's this funny little dynamic that's going on here in the text where Jacob is called Jacob, and then he's called Israel. And then he's called Jacob, and he's called Israel. Did y'all notice that? It's probably confusing to some of you if you're not used to it. He's got two names, right? Jacob was the name he was born with, the deceiver. That's what his name means, the one who grasps at the heel. He's pulling his brother's leg. And then his new name 
is Israel. You know what Israel means? It means he who wrestles with God. He wrestled with God or wrestled with an agent of God in Genesis 32, and he was given this blessing, and God reminded them that he's with them. You're the one that wrestles with God. That goes on to become the name of God's people, Israel, those who wrestle with God, who contend with God. Why do you think his name is flipping back and forth in the story? I think possibly this is symbolic of the reality that you and I live in, right? Some days I know that I'm a beloved child of God, and I remember my true name. Other times I forget that, and I start to think I am what the world says I am, right? We finished this section with Joseph saying, oh, by the way, let him know you're a shepherd because that'll help secure us some nice separate land. But the reason that's going to work is because you're an abomination to the Egyptians. Abomination is an old-fashioned word. It means you're disgusting. That's what that means, okay? The world is going to say, you're disgusting. You are weird. You are bizarre. And we're constantly going to need to go back and remember the promises of God. We're going to have to remember who God says we are. So a beautiful cross-reference for this in, in first, is it first Peter or second Peter? It's first Peter. First Peter 2.11 says that we are sojourners. It says that's what it means to be the New Testament people of God. We're sojourners. We're exiles. We're aliens. And Peter is saying there in first Peter chapter 2, verse 11, he's saying, so be these sojourners, right? Remember, this is not your place. And so as you remember what God has done for you, then be faithful to him. And that's what Peter is charging us with. He's like, if you start to believe that this is your world, you're gonna, your life's going to spin out of control. But if you remember you're here on temporary assignment, if you remember the promises of God, then things are going to be good. And Peter had already in that chapter in 1 Peter reminded us that we are chosen and adopted and loved by God. So there will be this constant battle in your life where you're going to want to start to believe what the Egyptians, so to speak, say about you. You're going to want to believe, oh, I, I'm an abomination. <laughs> There's something wrong. with There's something deeply shameful here. And and God is saying, no, you're, you're loved, and you're adopted, and you're a sojourner, and this world is not your home. And as Jesus says in John 14, I'm preparing a place for you. So when you remember that, that's the paradox of grace. When you remember that this is not really your home, it actually frees you to love it better. It frees you to love it in an unselfish way. So remember the promises of God, the ancient promises made in the Old Testament to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but also the current promises we see fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So the next thing we see is that sojourning means continuing the mission. So if we can remember who we are, if we can wrap our brain around that, right, and not fall for the prideful view of, man, I've got everything I need here, I don't need God, or the shameful view of I'm terrible and I'm worthless, but we remember that gospel balance of I am a sinner, but I've been saved and chosen and loved by God. If we can remember that true identity, then we'll be able to continue the mission. We'll be able to keep it going. We're going to look at chapter 47 now. I already read these verses, and this is the reunion that we see uh, where, not the reunion, but the uh, presentation of Jacob being now presented to Pharaoh. So verse 1, Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, my father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. So he's setting this up for them so they can have this special land. And we see kind of some strategery taking place here, right? Like he's, he's setting things up. He's like, make sure they know your shepherds because that'll help. Make sure we get the right land. And he sent them there ahead. And now he's, you know, he's presenting his plan. So that's this easy thing for Pharaoh to approve. Uh, in verse two, it says, from among his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. In the Hebrew, it says, he took five from the fringe or from the edge. It's kind of like an idiom that means the best of. 
He took kind of like the fringe, the outliers. <laughs> he took like the brothers that were the best looking and the smartest and the most well-spoken to present to Pharaoh, right? Like he's, it's like putting on a suit for a, a job interview, right? He's putting the best foot forward to try to make sure that his family is getting set up well. So Joseph is being strategic. Verse 3, Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land. Again, they're clear about their identity. We're temporary residents. We haven't come here to take over. We're here to sojourn. We've come to sojourn in the land. There's no pasture for your servants' flocks, and the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. So here we see the great blessing of God through Pharaoh on God's people. I'm, I'm taking care of you. Yeah, take the best land. And hey, if you got any guys that can help manage my livestock too, that'd be great. I'll, I'll give you an extra job. Verse 7, then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Now, about half of the commentators I read said, yeah, this is just normal, right? Like when you bless someone, that's just a thing people did in the ancient Middle East, right? Like high five, nice to meet you. It was just like a standard greeting kind of thing. We've got him blessing him when he comes in and blessing him when he goes out. But the other half of the commentators said, this is really important, right? Because this signifies the vocation of a sojourner of God. A sojourner of God is someone who is temporarily here. Why? We have a mission of passing on the blessing. And go back and read Genesis 12, everything that God says to Abraham about being a blessing and passing on this blessing. This is such an important part of who God's people are. We are to pass on the blessings of God. We are to serve and love our neighbors and those we work with. We are to image God in the world. We are to continue that mission. And so here in the story, we've got Jacob blessing Pharaoh. And it's got to be kind of ironic, right? Because remember, Jacob, it's about to tell us in the text, he's, he's 130 years old. So kind of the picture I have in my mind, and we remember he's limping because he wrestled all night with the stranger in Genesis 32. So if you don't know that, go back and read that weird story. So he walks with a limp his whole life. He's 130 years old, so he's kind of like bent over, I'm sure, right? I'm, I'm kind of picturing like a Yoda-type character here. <laughs> you know, he's like all grizzled and wrinkled up from coming in. And he's presenting himself to the greatest, most powerful, richest man in the world. And what does he do? He's like, oh, bless your heart. You think you got everything, but you need blessings from God. I'm going to bless you because that's my vocation. That's my mission. I'm blessed by God so that I can bless others. He's not intimidated by Pharaoh. And this is a beautiful picture of what it means to be a man or a woman of faith. So he comes up, Jacob blessed Pharaoh, we're in verse 8, and Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? I mean, I think he's just in shock, right? The guy looks old, I think. Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojournings are 130 years. Now, just a little sidebar on that, we see the lifespan of people kind of shrinking over time in Genesis. So we see some extraordinary lifespans in the beginning of Genesis I have no problem with that. Maybe you do. You know, I don't understand the genetics of 5,000 years ago, but I have no problem with that. I mean, we can talk offline or talk later if you have more questions about that. But here we're just told he's that old. He's 130 years. The patriarchs before him lived even older. And so here's how he frames it. 
He says, I'm 130 years old. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And then Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. So he blesses him coming in. Pharaoh's like, man, how old are you? And he's like, I'm 130 years old, but my life has been evil and terrible, and it's nothing compared to Abraham and Isaac, right? My life is kind of small and weak compared to theirs. And there's this beautiful kind of tension here, I think, in the text of what it means to walk with God. Uh, In some ways, I feel like Jacob's maybe a little too melancholy, right? But I also think he paints a picture of what it means to be real and to be honest in your walk with God. He understands that he's a sojourner. He understands that he has a mission of blessing others. But he's also honest. It's like, yeah, my days have been evil. (laughs) It's like, I'm beat up. I'm about to die. I've lived through some terrible stuff. And I think that reminds us as those who love Jesus and follow him, Paul talks about this in Corinthians. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Don't apologize for your jar of clay, right? Like if you're going through chemo, you don't have to lie about that to bless other people. You can be like, yeah, I'm dying, but God bless you. I have a home in heaven and everything's going to be okay. You see that tension that we live with? We think that we have to have a life that's so pretty and cleaned up and perfect or otherwise we can't be used by God. But here Jacob is modeling for us what Paul describes as having treasure in a jar of clay. He's this wrinkled up old, you know, Yoda character who's falling apart and limping, dragging a leg in. He's like, bless you, richest, wealthiest, most beautiful man in the world. God bless you. You need God. All the riches and all the wealth you have are not enough. Yeah, my days have been evil, but I've been blessed by God and I'm passing on those blessings to you. I think this is what it looks like for us to continue the mission that we have. Again, we don't, we don't want to be melancholy. We don't want to be like depressed and whining all the time, but, but we can be honest. Yeah, my, my life is hard, but I've got blessings to pass on nonetheless. I'm a sojourner, and this is temporary. I've got a permanent assignment that I'm heading for where there's going to be no more tears, no more crying, no more pain. And so Jacob is modeling for us what it means to pass on this blessing. And this reminds me of something a friend of mine said about Jacob specifically, but about what it means to walk with God. Some really weird stories about Jacob seeing God and being blessed and being given the name Israel, which means he who wrestles with God. A guy wrestles with him all night. Just really weird stories. I encourage you to go back and read the Jacob stories on your own time. But a friend of mine who's a, a pastor in Ohio who is a wrestler, he took the time to explain to his congregation, he says, you know what? I was a wrestler and my son played baseball and he loves both sports. He's like, but you know what? The Christian life is a lot more like wrestling than baseball, right? No offense to baseball players. I'm sure sometimes you get tired and sore when you play baseball. I didn't play baseball, right? So I don't know. But he's like, you know what? When you wrestle, uh, you bleed and you ache for like three days afterwards. You you break bones. (laughs) It's painful. And my friend's point is that wrestling is the model for what it means to walk with God. So we see this carried through in the New Testament, right, of this, this straining and striving in our pursuit of Jesus. It's difficult. It's not easy. Another analogy I've heard many times is that the Christian life is a marathon, not a sprint. And that one connects with me. I've never been a wrestler, but I was a sprinter. I sure don't ever want to run a marathon. <laughs> but apparently God's got me on assignment right now running a marathon called the Christian life. So here's, here's where this can be a problem. 
sometimes when you hit hard things in your life, you can think, oh, that means that God's not with me and I have no blessings to pass on. But I want you to remember that God can still work through you, through your difficulty and through your pain. As Paul says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. We've been comforted in our affliction so we can comfort others in their affliction. That's what it means to continue on the mission. Now, I want to just look real quickly at a couple of places where our mission is stated, right? Because mission can kind of be this big abstract thing. Genesis 1.28 and Matthew 28.18-20. So you can look those up later, but I'm going to summarize. In Genesis 1.28, it says our mission is to image God, to be fruitful, to multiply, to have dominion over the earth. That's at the beginning of the Bible before sin comes in. It says human beings' job is to image God by doing human being things, right? By changing diapers, by cooking meals, by planting trees, by going to work, by building houses. As we do those things, we honor God. And then Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, oh yeah, but you need to, you need to tell people about the saving love of Jesus Christ as well. So we have these kind of two dueling commissions. And, and sometimes I feel like we think they're intention, but it's one and the same mission. We're, we're called to live an ordinary life and do ordinary things and honor God with the gifts that we've been given. But that will not work. We're unable to do that. We're unable to sojourn properly and to be on mission for God if we don't understand what he's done for us in Christ. And so really what it is is the, the cultural commission that God gives us in Genesis 1.28 to live ordinary lives for the glory of God. That can only be fulfilled if you're living your life in submission to Christ. If you know that he's paid for your sins, if you know that he loves you, if, he knows that, if you know that he's adopted you as his child, right? And that this hard place is not just a punishment, but, but God is with you. Then you can live your ordinary, mundane life for the glory of God. So that's what it means to stay on mission. It's, it's not just preaching the gospel and it's not just living an ordinary life, but we're called to do both of those things and coordinate those things in our life to continue the mission. All right, the last section I want us to look at here. Oh, there's a picture of someone wrestling. Wrestling is painful. That was what that illustration was about. The last thing is that sojourning feels like a cliffhanger. feels like a cliffhanger. We've talked about this a lot. Um, we love to watch serial TV shows that end with the, you know, tune in next week, cliffhanger, suspense, drama. We love to read books like that, but we don't like to live a life like that, right? That's really where we struggle. I remember watching Batman episodes when I was a kid, and they'd have this thing, tune in next week, same bat time, same bat channel, and it was kind of cheesy. It was kind of dorky. Um, as my kids have grown up, I've started watching a little more TV. It's like for 20 years, I basically didn't watch TV, but now I've been watching some of these like serial shows you can watch online. And I've realized they've gotten it down to like this incredible science where they can end every episode with you really, really wanting to watch the next episode. Have you ever, have you ever noticed that? It's crazy. Why do we love that so much with a TV show, but we hate it in our own life? You ever wonder that? Like that, that's what God is doing in your life right now. You're like, I don't need this kind of drama, Lord, right? Like, I don't, I don't want this suspense. Let me watch it. Let me read about it where I can stay in control, but I don't want to live it, right? I don't want to be hanging on the side of a cliff wondering when or if God is going to rescue me or if the rescue is only going to come in the next life. I want to know what's going to happen. And I don't know if you're like me. I've often thought, man, if, if he would just tell me what's going to happen next, then I'd be fine. I, I think God wants us to live day to day by faith, not really knowing what's going to happen on next week's episode. I think that's the calling that he's placed 
on our life to, to live in this cliffhanger world. So let's look at verses 19 through 28. Starting in verse 19, it says, Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land, by us and our land for food, and we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh, and give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. Who is this? Okay, so I jumped in the middle of the story. These are the Egyptians. So it switched back after, after Pharaoh said, hey, Joseph, your, your brothers, your descendants, they can have the best land. But the Egyptians, they're still going through a famine as well, right? And they've come to the point where they've given up everything just for survival. They're just living in utter dependence on Joseph. So these are the Egyptians talking. We'll, we'll give you ourselves. We'll, we'll be your servants. We'll be your slaves. So what we see here is a great reversal. We saw the blessing of God's people being given the, blessed land, the best land, and now the Egyptians living as slaves. Verse 20, so Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for all the Egyptians sold their fields. Because the famine was severe on them, the land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. So all the Egyptians are becoming enslaved for their survival. Verse 22 says, only the land of the priests he didn't buy, but the priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh, and they lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they didn't sell the land, right? They had an allowance. They didn't need to sell the land. Verse 23, then Joseph said to the people, behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And at the harvests, you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own, as seed for the field, and as food for yourselves and your households, and as food for your little ones. Now, I just want to make one little side comment here. I don't think this is given to us as like a model of government, okay? I don't think that's the point of this story. I think the point of the story is the fulfillment of God's promises. He's saying, my people will be blessed, and these other guys are going to struggle. And that's the contrast that's being shown in this story here. But it doesn't end there, right? It's a cliffhanger. I already said that, right? It's a cliffhanger. There are going to be ups and downs. God's people look like they're winning. God's people look like they're losing. God's people look like they're winning. God's people look like they're losing. It's going to be a back and forth that we are living through ourselves. And so, verse 25, they said, you have saved our lives. May it please my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. So they're, they're happy, right? Like, they would have died otherwise. They're like, this is great. You know, we'd rather be live slaves that keep to, get to keep four-fifths than, than dead people with freedom. Um, I know that doesn't sound very American. I'm sorry. Like I said, I don't think this is a model of, of every government should be run this way. But it goes on. It says in verse 26, So Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day that the Pharaoh should have the fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt. Did you catch that switch all of a sudden? So he's talking about the blessings to Israel. Then he started talking about the Egyptians, and they gave up everything. And then now he's saying, Thus... Israel, thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. Does that remind you anything? They're fulfilling the commission that God gave them in Genesis 1.28. Go, be fruitful and multiply. The promises are being fulfilled. Verse 28, and Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life were 147 years. Interesting little kind of completion there, right? He knew his son Joseph for 17 years, then he was without him, and then he got 17 more years with him at the end. It's kind of God tying it up in a bow, so to speak. And so we see God's faithfulness to his people. 
They've been given the best. They are being fruitful and multiplying, right? Is this the end of the story, though? No. No, there's, there's more to the story. Again, we live in a cliffhanger. We live in a cliffhanger. So we come to this place in Exodus. That's the next book of the Bible. Exodus 2, 24 through 28, or 25 says this. God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. What is that about? What's well, the sojourning in Egypt 400 years? God promised Abraham in Genesis chapter, was it 15, 12? In Genesis chapter 12, he says they're going to be sojourners, servants, afflicted for 400 years. It's the ups and downs of, of walking with God. And so this story, chapter 47, ends on the high note. Everything's great. They're being fruitful. They're multiplying. All God's promises are being enjoyed. That might be where you are right now. You might be in a place where you just need to give thanks to God. God, thank you for your blessings. God, show me how to be a good sojourner in this world so I can pass on your blessings to others. Or you might be more like where Exodus chapter 1 is, where they're enslaved and they're afflicted and they're crying and they feel like God has forgotten them. But chapter 2 of Exodus promises God remembers his covenant. God hears God knows. We see that come to ultimate fruition in Jesus. Jesus is the proof that God has not abandoned us. We feel like he's forgotten us. We feel like he's gone, but he's with us in Christ. Jesus is the one that sojourned from heaven. Jesus is the one that came to this world. He left the perfection of heaven. He left the presence of the Father to come and to live a broken kind of life like you and me. He lived through pain. He was abused. He was hurt like Joseph, like you and I, but he died in our place to take our sin upon himself on the cross. He sojourned for us so that, so that we can sojourn, so that we can pass on that blessing to others. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you for your grace in Christ. God, remind us that you are still at work in our lives. Remind us that you have not abandoned us. Remind us that you hear and that you know. God, teach us how to love the place you've called us to because you're preparing a home for us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.